0: Previously, we talked about uh, how to love our enemies and how David loved Saul, even though Saul was trying to kill him constantly. And it gave us great examples how to treat people in our lives who give us hard times. Well, this today is going to be the first part of that message where uh, David comes into the courts of Saul. And just to give you a little bit of background about the life of David. So you're kind of all we're all on the same page here. I'll just give you some info. Uh, David was a shepherd boy. He was the son of Jesse and the youngest of several brothers. Uh, He lived in Bethlehem. And at the time, King Saul uh, was the first king of Israel. And uh, they had some battles going on. God was not happy with Saul. And so he sent Samuel, his prophet, to select a new king. And Samuel was sent to the house of Jesse to pick one of uh, Jesse's sons. And so Jesse lined them all up and started bringing out his sons. And Samuel was like, no, no, no. And finally they brought Cinderella out from the back. Or it was David actually, and the glass slipper fit on his big toe. So he was selected by God to be the anointed king as a teenager or a very young man. But before David took the throne, the Philistines came to uh, fight against Israel. And we all know this story about David and Goliath. David rose up and said, is anyone going to stop this man from speaking bad about God? And so he went out and uh, slew Goliath. And Saul was so impressed at this that he invited David to come live in his courts and in his palace. And in the palace is where David met Jonathan, who eventually became, which was uh, Saul's son, and who eventually became David's BFF, his best friend forever. And that's where we're going to pick up with this story today. So if you please turn to 1 Samuel, chapter 18. Um, as I tell the teenagers, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, 1 Samuel. So if you can't find it in your Bible, you just it'll take you right there. 1 Samuel, chapter 18, verse 1. We're going to read several verses here see what God has for us. It says this, And it came to pass, when he made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, and would let him go no more home to his father's house. In verse 3, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant, because he loved him as his own soul, And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was upon him, and gave it to David, and his garments, even to his sword, and to his bow, and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, excuse me, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also the sight of Saul's servants. Let's pray real quick. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you for my opportunity to be here to teach. I pray that you'll be in this lesson with us and that you can help us to see from David's example how we can learn to live uh, more like Christ, have the mind of Christ, and uh, please you and honor you in everything we do. All these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we know that David served his father because from uh, previous accounts, he was a shepherd. He was out in the fields watching the sheep. You know, when Jesse wanted him to go bring bread to his brothers, he was where he was supposed to be. He did what his father said, and he fought off wild animals. I think he killed a lion, maybe a bear, Uh, and he was always doing what he was supposed to be doing as a young person. Uh, But then Saul came and he said, I'm going to take you out of your home and make you a part of my home. So he had the opportunity and a larger role to serve his king. So as Christians, uh, it's clear that we should also be servants. Uh, For example, the disciples, you know, they served the multitudes. uh, They served each other. Uh, the, The whole position of a deacon was created to serve the widows in the early church. And then Jesus Christ came to serve us, uh, not to serve himself. In fact, Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So this morning, I have three points that I want to make about talking about how David left his father's home and he went to serve the king. and. Mm My first point this morning is that David was claimed by the king. He was claimed by the king. Uh, So I looked up, what does the word claim mean? I was surprised to find that there's like several definitions of the word claim, like, you know, a gold claim where you go out prospecting and stuff. But the definition we're looking for today is to take as the rightful owner. Uh, Saul went, got David, and took him as his rightful owner, as his, uh, you know, king. And took him into possession, almost like kidnapping, but not quite, right? Uh, So I was thinking, is there any time where I've had to claim something back for myself? And I was like, yeah, there is. Uh, One time, uh, when we first got married, Diane and I thought it would be a good idea to get a dog. And so we uh, bought a wiener dog. And the wiener dog is about this long, and you know they're about that tall, when they're on the ground... And then when they get up into your bed, they're like an anaconda, and they're like this long, and they're like that big around, and they're like 150 degrees. And so her being short, she doesn't have to have the feet room that I need. So the dog was laying all over my feet all the time. I couldn't stand it. So I called her the troll. I'm like, get off me, troll. Get off me, okay? So her and I had a real contentious relationship, me and the dog, not me and my wife. Uh <laughs> So uh, one one year, we decided we're going to take a little holiday getaway and go out to, um, I don't even know, for Thanksgiving. We just went out of town. But we had a problem. We didn't know where to put the dog. And, like, we already burned all the bridges with this dog of people who would help watch her. So I'm like, I don't know what to do. Let's just get a big bowl of water and a big pile of food and stick it in the garage. It was only going to get down to, like, 45 and she's got a fur coat on, it'll be all right. We're only going to be gone two days. So we put her in there, and I'm like, it'll work, it'll work. And Dinah's really nervous. Oh, is she going to be okay? I wish she will be all right. And we get home, and she's gone. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? She got through, like, a little hole in the corner of the garage, and then she escaped the, uh, the backyard fence. So we looked all around for her. I was screaming, dog, your name is Corey. Corey! I was like, if I find her, I'm going to kill her, so she better run and hide. One of my neighbors came out, oh yeah, we saw your dog, uh, she was running around the street, she didn't know what to do, so we took her to the pound. I was like, oh great, so, you know, it's Sunday, so I, I didn't have a chance to go to the pound until Monday to claim her back, and I was thinking the whole time, this dog is going to cost me hundreds of dollars, and pound, I'm going to get a fine, and I'm going to have to get her license, and all this stuff. So I get there, and I could hear her barking from the outside, you know. And I was like, oh, she is in there. Well, that's good. At least she's not roadkill or something like a pancake or something. And so I go in there and the lady's adding it up. She's like using the calculator. Um, that'll be five dollars. I'm like, five dollars? I'm like thinking to myself. This is the world's cheapest kennel ever. And they even have like a drop-off where you can just throw the dog into this little enclosed area. And you just head out of town. Three days, three nights, room and board, five bucks. This is great. So I got her and I'm taking her back home. And my car smelled for days after that trip. And I put her in the tub. And the stuff that just fell off of her in the shower, it was disgusting. She must have, like, rolled. She must have, you know, dachshunds are made to, like, get badgers out of their holes. So she must have been finding badgers all over my neighborhood. (laughs) It was crazy. She was so dirty. So I never took her back to the kennel or to the pound. Uh, Actually, we let the Yo's, they're not here today. We let the Yo's watch her, and then she died. So it was really kind of sad. I don't blame Justin at all. Saul claimed David as one of his palace servants. Uh, Let's look at 1 Samuel 18, verse 2. It says, and Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. He took him that day. He's like, you're mine. You're coming with me. Let's go back home. And David went. You know, this is an upgrade for David from working in the fields to being in the palace. And I think at the time, David had been uh, ministering to Saul with some musical talent that he had. So this is a chance for him to live there full time. Uh, We need to know that our king, Jesus Christ, has claimed us also. Saul claimed David, and Jesus Christ has claimed us if we're saved. Uh, turn to First Peter, chapter one, with me. First Peter, chapter one. It says in First Peter, chapter one, verse eighteen: For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot christ bought us with his blood and he claimed us back to him so that we could be redeemed from our sins and to me that's really uh humbling that the God of the universe would send his son to die for a sinner like me. Um, it says, if we are bought with Christ's blood, though, we need to remember that we're no longer our own. We've been purchased by Jesus Christ. And turn to 1 Corinthians with me. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says this. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Once we are redeemed by grace through faith, we should live to please Christ. And I think that's the heart and desire of everyone in the church. Everyone here wants to live for Christ. And it says here that Christ should be the only one we need to please. Uh, One thing I like about this series uh, for the teens, they give lots of scripture and um, it's really well supported. But they also give interesting illustrations. So I have a couple here that I like to read uh, in light of pleasing just christ our king here's a story it says a famous violinist played before a large crowd after his performance he bowed and started to walk off stage as he did the crowd gave him a standing ovation and yelled encore encore the man walked back to center stage and played another amazing piece after he was done he once again bowed and walked off the stage This time, the crowd stood and cheered even louder. Encore! And again, the violinist obliged and returned to play for the audience. Finally, he exited the stage. Backstage, the man was approached by reporters. Why would you do so many encore performances, they asked. The violinist replied, Well, the man who taught me to play was in the audience tonight. When the crowd stood and cheered for the first time, he was the only one still sitting. After the second time, he was still sitting. When I was finished playing the last song, my teacher finally rose to his feet, satisfied. I wanted only to please my teacher. And that should be our attitude. We should only want to please Christ. And the cool thing is, as we please Christ and we live our lives right, we'll end up pleasing our spouses, our kids, our parents, our employer. So if it starts there, everything branches from that point. It says, Christians, who, who are we living to please? Ourselves? Are we living for the praises of men? Or are we living for the king that purchased us with his own blood? So point number A under our first point there of being claimed is that David was claimed for service. He wasn't just brought into the palace to lay on the Shea Lounge and eat grapes and be fanned by the ostrich feathers. You see when they're doing like this. No, he was there at the palace to do something for Saul. Uh, David was sorry, I'm up here. (laughs) Saul was chosen to serve Saul chose David to serve him, not just to lie around uh, fattening himself up. And David was now in full-time service of Saul. As Christians, we need to be in full-time service of the Lord. This doesn't necessarily mean like pastoring or missionary, but just whatever you do, make yourself fully available to Christ. Um, It says... We are ultimately serving others for Christ, our King. And there are glamorous jobs. Uh, there are not so glamorous jobs in the body of Christ. Uh, some of those jobs, it's I don't need to speak it, but let's see. Uh, Colossians three. Turn to Colossians three with me. Chapter three, verse twenty-three. I was going to say that even if it's a glamorous job or not, they all need to be done. You know, we we need everything to work together for the glory of God. And it says here in chapter 3, verse 23 of Colossians, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. So when you do your jobs and you help around the church, do it for the glory of God, do it for Christ's sake, And that should be our attitude from there. There's another illustration I'd like to read about someone who kind of took a step down from doing what God would have him do. It says here, during World War II, England needed to increase its production of coal. Winston Churchill called together all the labor leaders to enlist their support. At the end of his presentation, he asked them to picture in their minds a parade which he knew would be held in Piccadilly Circus after the war. First, he said, would come the sailors who had kept the vital sea lanes open. Then would come the soldiers who had come home from Dunkirk and then gone on to defeat Rommel in Africa. Then would come the pilots who had driven the Luftwaffe from the sky. Last of all, he said, would come a long line of sweat-stained, soot-streaked men in in miners' caps. Someone would cry from the crowd, And where were you during the critical days of our struggle? And from 10,000 throats would come the answer, We were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. And there's a lot of coal mining jobs that need to be done. Without people supporting that and it not getting done, the work of the Lord can't be accomplished uh, through the church. It says here, Not all jobs in the church are prominent and glamorous, but as often the people with their faces to the coal, Who helped the church accomplish their mission? So, are you helping the church accomplish its its mission in this place? He was claimed for service, and secondly, he was claimed for separation. Uh, Saul claimed David for his house, and that means he had to leave Jesse's house and go to be with Saul. David was still Jesse's son, but now he belonged to the house of Saul. And I kind of think of it this way, like when a man joins the military, you know, he has to leave his family for uh, boot camp and such. And now you're a part of the army. You're still in your family, but you're separated from them. In the same way, we as Christians should be separated from the world doing the work of the Lord. It says being a part of the Lord's army requires a degree of separation. Second Corinthians, uh, go to Second Corinthians 6 sixteen second Corinthians six sixteen says and what let me see here Second Corinthians six seventeen, sorry, six seventeen. It says, wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, unclean thing, and I will receive you. God wants us to come out from the unclean thing and be separate from it. don't let it touch you remember back in the old uh law system if you uh touched any unclean thing you had to go through a ceremony to uh get clean again now thankfully that we're in the age of grace we have jesus christ to uh, wash away that sin but we still need to keep ourselves separated from that when god bought us with the blood of his son he claimed us for separation from the world and by separating ourselves from the world we bring honor to his name okay my second point of this morning is that David was commissioned by the king. He was commissioned by the king. So first he was claimed, and then he was sent on a mission. Uh, in verse 5, let's look back at our text. First Samuel 18. I meant to tell you to keep your marker there. We'll be back. Whoops. Verse 1 through 5. So we're looking at verse 5, chapter 18 of First Samuel. It says, and David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of the war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Saul sent David out as a representative of himself. And he, uh, I want you to look at the first part of this verse. It says, um, and David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. This is very important. In fact, um, young people, this is one of the most important type of things you could think about for your character as you grow. Behave yourself wisely. Uh, David made small, right choices one after another until he had an entire livelihood of good character that was built on the word of God. Now, as Christians, how are we commissioned? David was sent out to be the leader of the men of war. Uh, For us, obviously, it's in Matthew 28. Turn there, Matthew 28, verse 18. It's called the Great Commission. It's our marching orders as Christians, and we all should be familiar with this passage. It says in Matthew chapter 28, baptize and teach we need to be bringing in people to share the gospel with them getting them baptized teaching them how to go out and win other people to Christ um i have a little story about missions uh, maybe not the kind of missions you're thinking of at this very moment but with my kids we would have chore time seemed like every day actually and i would be like all right go pick up your blocks uh, no go pick up all the blocks Pick up all the blocks on the floor. You know, you have to get very specific directions. And they're really like, oh, dad, why do I got to do this? And so I remember for Simon, I was like, this is not working out. But I think I found like the holy grail of child uh, discipline. It was, it was really great. So I'm thinking one day, I got to make this into a game. And I was like, Simon, come here. And I started whispering real quiet. I'm like, hey, I have a mission for you. And he's like, what? A mission for me? I was like, Oh yeah. What I want you to do is I want you to sneak over to that pile of blocks and put them all in the bucket for me. And he's like, I get to do that? And I was like, Yeah, but you can't let anybody see you, okay? And his mom's sitting right there on the couch. He's like, Okay. So he like belly crawls over to, right across the middle of the floor, over to the pile of blocks, and he's like, vroom, 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 full. And he comes back and I was like, wow, that really, I was thinking, wow, that really worked well. I got to remember this. Well, not only did it work well, he comes back and he's like, dad, what's my next mission? <laughs> I'm like, all right, let's see, you're four years old. I need the grass mode, and uh, we got to clean the garage floor. So I've used it on all three of my kids and they love missions. And that's how I ta- taught them to love missions now. <laughs> uh. But really, it's a great example of their excitement as a child to do something for their parents. You know, I put a little bit of a fun spin on it. But we should have that childlike excitement for the mission that God has for us. Are we saying, all right, God, who am I going to talk to next about Christ? Or, all right, God, how can I help out at the church? Or how can I help my pastor this week? I have to say, I don't have that childlike excitement all the time. So this is a good reminder for me to uh, really be excited about the work for the Lord. Uh, God has given us mission, given us a mission, and we need to accomplish it it with that kind of excitement. Uh, He was, first of all, commissioned as a servant. So similar to my first point, uh, David went out, if you turn back to um, 1 Samuel, our text for the day. Verse five, it says, and David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. We're going to stop there for now, but he didn't get to stay in the palace. You know, it must've been really nice in the palace. I'm sure they did might have grapes. They probably had like olives or something. I don't know what they eat over there. Uh, They had olives and all kinds of wonderful treats and delicacies and If they had air conditioning, I'd still be over there, you know. Maybe they had some large blocks of ice or something. I don't know. It must have been really nice to be the king's palace, right? But he had to leave that comfort zone to uh, go do the work of the king. And for us, I think sometimes we get in our comfort zone, whether it's like our little group of friends or maybe our family or our schedule or routine. And, you know, I got stuff to do, so I'm too busy. And we don't reach outside of that comfort zone. We need to leave the palace and go do the work of the Lord sometimes. It says here, uh, we need to be willing to ask ourselves, Lord, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? And who would you have me to share the gospel with today? Because we are his servants, our answer should always be one of submission. When God presses upon our hearts to do something for someone or, or to tell someone about Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be like Jonah, where he fled to another country and got on a ship and got eaten by a fish. Uh, We should be willing and submissive. If we turn to Philippians 2, verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5. going to read through verse 8 it says let this mind be in you which is also in christ jesus who being in the form of god thought it not robbery to be equal with god but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the unto death even the death of the cross Jesus Christ, who is God, was submissive to the Father's plan. And he came, he became a man, and he died on the cross so that we would have a chance to be with him in heaven. And even more so, we should, uh, because of that, want to submit to Christ. Christ submitted to the Father's will, to his mission. We are commanded to be of the same mind of Christ. That's one of pastors... um, main objective is that we all have the mind of christ and as one in our church body to get around those scriptures and have the mind of christ and christ's mind was to submit to the father okay um if i have a quick illustration here that says when william Carey's son felix was appointed as the ambassador to burma by the queen of england it bothered his father william Previously, Felix had committed to be a missionary, but then decided to take the position of ambassador instead. William Carey is known for saying, please pray for Felix. He has degenerated into an ambassador of the British government when he should be serving the king of kings. And that kind of gives you a perspective that no job that you're doing for God is any less important than anything else in our lives. We should put Christ first And the things that he would have us to do uh, first. I have it said here, it says, serving our king is the highest honor. So David was a servant, but David was also a leader. Okay, it says he was commissioned to be a leader. Not only was he a servant, but he was a leader. But by having himself behave wisely, he began to make a reputation for himself. And by being faithful in small responsibilities, God set him over the men of war. Turn to Luke 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. And we'll see how David was faithful and how more responsibility got added to his uh, life. Luke 16, verse 10 says this, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is, is unjust also in the much uh, so if we are going to take steps to become more of a, a leader in you know even our jobs or our homes or in the church especially we need to take those small faithful steps and work towards uh, serving others until god sees fit that we're ready for a leadership role like david was often people want an opportunity to take the leadership role and they wonder why they're never selected Sometimes this is where proving yourself faithful in small things is so important. God will entrust us in leadership positions if we first prov- prove faithful in our serving positions. I'm a living testimony of this. You know, I'm just an engineer uh, by trade, and after being willing to help with the youth group for, I think it's almost 20 years now, uh, I finally had the opportunity to become the leader in the youth group. And that's really cool. I really, really enjoy it. But it's after a long time of just doing whatever Pastor Nathan made me do. And he's like, get over there and get to work. No, No, Pastor Nathan was awesome. I miss him. But, yeah, so that is uh, being a leader. Last point we have for this morning. He was first claimed by the king. He was commissioned by the king. And he was commended by the king. And commended just means praise for the things you've accomplished or the things that you've done. Um, I have a quick story about when I was in high school, uh, I ran track. I'm More like I jog track, okay? So um, I was not very good at track, and I'm not very good at running at all. I actually have a medical thing where I'm allergic to running. My doctor literally prescribed me an EpiPen for running. So it's a thing. I can't believe it either, but it's true. Um, when I was in high school, I was, uh, I was only at track my junior and senior year. Uh, my junior year, I was kind of like the captain of the reserve team. And my coach liked me in that position so much, he kept me there for the second year also. So I never got to run on varsity. And I really, really, really wanted a varsity letter. I had one of those really cool jackets and you could put like track on there. I had band on there and everyone knows band is really cool, but track would be cool too, right? So we go to the banquet and I'm like, I already know I didn't get a varsity letter, but they're having spaghetti. So I'll be there, you know, it's the awards banquet at the end of the season and you had to get so many points to get varsity. And I had like one tenth of that amount of points. So I'm eating my spaghetti, and they're passing out varsity letters here and there. And Denver was on my track team. He and I graduated from Houston together in the same class. I think Denver got two varsity letters that year, one for his right leg and one for his left leg. (laughs) It was ridiculous. The guy went to state. It's crazy. So they're passing out the varsity letters, and the coach, Coach Bokey, some of you know him. He's a legendary character from Mercer County, and uh, Coach Bokey is my track coach. Oh, I have a story about Nathan, too, I want to mention. Uh, Nathan came into the junior high class in seventh grade, and he's like, Hey, Mr. Ty, you run the uh, track, right? And I was telling him I run track, and he's like, I run track, too. And I told him I run the 400 meter shuffle, and he ran the 400 meter dash, and he's going to try to beat my time, right? So I told him what my best time was, and he was about 10 seconds away from it. And so he kept practicing and kept practicing. And eventually, after years and years of practice, he beat my time in eighth grade. So, uh, yeah, he, he was uh, running faster than I was by eighth grade. That just gives you a little highlight. Nice work, Nathan. Uh, so we get to the end of the awards, and Coach Bokey's like, I'm like, oh, they're wrapping it up. And I'm still, like, shuffling it in. And he's like, I got one more award. Uh, this is an award for, uh, you know, I wasn't able to give everyone varsity letters this year because uh, we have certain rules, but just because you aren't able to get points and, uh, doesn't mean you haven't added to, uh, contrib- contributed to the team. And there had been a student who had graduated and then passed away, uh, so he dedicated the award in this student's name, and I was like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. It's an extra award. I wonder who's going to get that. And he called my name, and I was like, what? So he said, Yeah, Ty's been uh, really helping out, helping Denver out, uh, making the state meet and everything, keeping him in line, and he's been there every practice. And I couldn't believe that I was getting this award. And so I'm going up to get it, and this is something I'll never forget. Coach Bokey was, like, crying. He's like, here you go, and he's got, like, tears coming down his eyes. I'm like, wow, this really, really meant something to him. And because of that, it really meant something to me. It feels great to be commended, even when you stink at something. You know, it feels good. I was so happy about that. Um, David must have been very honored to be selected to go into the house uh, of Saul, and to, into his palace. And as wonderful as that might have been, how much more wonderful will it be to be commended by the king of kings? Uh, turn to Matthew 21, 25, 21, Matthew 25, Twenty one. Verse twenty says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things enter thou into the joy of thy lord what an amazing honor it would be for the creator of the world to say well done and the cool part is in this verse it's for the small things it says thou hast been faithful over a few things just a few things that we need to do from his commission that he will consider us faithful that's really good um Why was David commended, though? I think he was commended for two reasons. We're only going to look at one today. But the first reason would be um, his actions. Obviously, he stepped up in faith and defeated Goliath for the whole nation of Israel that they didn't have to submit to the Philistines. But secondly, he was commended for his character. David's character was developed through a series of right choices. Uh, If we look back at verse 5, and maybe you can remember, it says, He behaved himself wisely. There's times in my life where I haven't behaved myself wisely. And you can behave yourself in action. You can behave yourself in attitude. You can behave yourself in in the way you relate to people. But in particular, this was an action. I had bought a house in 2003 that was built in 1892. This is like before they had electricity, before they had water, before they had dirt. It was a long time ago, okay? So they retrofitted the house with this knob and tube wiring all throughout. And it was basically like one of those giant bug zappers that as you're walking through the house, you don't want to touch the walls because you might get electrocuted. So when I bought the house, I'm like, I've got to change this out a little bit. My brother, Jet. He was uh, working at Area Electric, so I I decided to have him help me. (laughs) I asked him to help me. He came over, and he 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 snipped a bunch of stuff. He ran a bunch of wires. He made sure we were up to code. But he left some of the basement unfinished, and there was uh, some knob and tube that was just dangling there for, I think, 13 years until we sold the house. And it was unconnected, so it didn't really bother me. But the people who were buying the house... Wanted that all cleaned up so it just didn't pose any threat. So I'm like, okay, I'll go down there. And, you know, I know it's unconnected. Jet did a good job. So I'm going to go down there with my little snippers, find the end, cut it all the way back to the uh, box, and I'll be done. And the house will be sold. So I go up to the end, and I'm, the ceiling of the basement is right here, and the wire is right here. And I go to cut the wire, and it's just dangling in front of my face, so I know it's off. A fireball this big shoots out of the wire. It burns the hair off the back of my hand. It almost blinds me. It welds the electrical cutters together. And I'm like... The hairs on my head stood up, all three of them. And... (laughs) I was like, that was a dumb decision. So I went straight to the box. I like turned the whole power off of the whole house. And I just started cutting everything and getting rid of it. So did you leave that down there for a booby trap or something? Because I was like ducking under it with boxes. I'm like, okay. Probably would have electrocuted me on the spot. But there were three effects that the Bible tells us about David's wise behavior. And these are real quick. If we look to... uh, 1 Samuel 18, Uh, we're going to skip ahead a little bit from our previous passage to verse 14. So go there in 1 Samuel 18. Verse 14 says this. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Skip down to verse 30. It says, Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. The first thing that happens is it showed that the Lord was with David. When you behave wisely, the Lord will be with you and your decisions and and the things in your life will go according to God's will if we behave wisely. I don't want a chance for the Lord to depart from me, so I'm going to try to behave wisely just for that fact. Uh, Secondly, it created fear in the hearts of the unspiritual king, uh, Saul at the time in verse 15. And then lastly, it uh, even... The princes of the Philistines recognized his behavior. So I have here that it says the world will, not notice, oh, sorry, the world will notice when you make right choices in the face of unpopular uh, opinion or peer pressure or social pressure. They're going to notice, and they're going to be afraid of that, uh, kind of like the way Saul was. Do you behave yourself wisely? And what is behaving wisely? To look at Psalms 111, verse 10, it gives us a little clue about where wisdom comes from and what wisdom is. Psalms 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing the Lord and submitting to his word is where wisdom starts. Uh, Let's look at Proverbs 9, verse 10. Next book over. Proverbs chapter 9. Verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The world will notice when you make right choices. Are we letting our light shine before men? Uh, The last verse I have today is from Matthew 5. Turn to Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 16. Chapter 5, verse 16 says this. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven it would be an amazing honor for me to be able to do something well within god's will so that when other people look on it they glorify god like oh wow look what he's he's doing a great job that would be really cool for me i know that that's your heart too let's do the work of the lord in a way that makes our communities and our families and our friends see us and then glorify god So in closing, I have three things I want you to think about as you go through this upcoming week. Number one, are you claimed by the king? Which basically is, are you saved today? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior? If not, you can come forward this morning after the service, talk to me or one of the other leaders. We can show you from the Bible how to be saved. Uh, That's the most important first step that you'll ever take. Do not wait. Today is the day of salvation. Secondly, if you are saved, are you serving God in what He would have you to do? Maybe you need to dedicate to serve the King. Maybe that's one of the things that you need to do this morning. Uh, there are tons of things that need to be done around here, and uh, sometimes they just go by the wayside because there's no one there who will pick it up. In fact, uh, just as a quick example, two weeks ago, I was trying to, me and my wife were trying to think of a way to. Uh, have a back-to-school cookout for the kids and what we were going to do. We weren't really sure, so I was walking around the church, and Tim and Amy Roth stopped me and said, Hey, uh, we have a, a place out in McCartysville. We'd like to have the teens over. And I'm like, What? Are you serious? I was literally just thinking about that. So I ran and grabbed Diana, and we went there on Friday night, and it was a wonderful time. They opened up their home to us. They have a really nice backyard. We played some volleyball, had some hot dogs. It's little things like that that can make a real big difference. Just hospitality, loving one another. And so I really want to say that was a blessing and thank you for opening up your home to us. So that's number two. Number three is, are you behaving wisely? Um, Is your character commendable? Will others see that Christ has made a difference in your life? I hope so. I hope that God will one day be able to say to you and to me, well done. So let's pray real quick and we'll be dismissed. Dear Lord, I thank you for uh, this account from David and how he was chosen by the king. And I thank you for sending your son.